This episode of The Protocol is sponsored by the Algorand Foundation. Dive deep into the blockchain realm with The Protocol Podcast with Coindesk founding editor of The Protocol newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Cowan here and I'm so excited to start this podcast. I will normally have both of co-hosts, Coindesk tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk joining. However, due to the SBF trial happening this week, Sam is off reporting uh, down at the courthouse in Manhattan, but hopefully he will be able to join us soon for some exciting conversations on the latest news and developments in technology behind crypto and blockchains. And I'm here with Margot Nykirk, and uh, we're going to start off today talking about one of the hot stories uh, that Margot's been following, which is optimism finally delivering fault proofs and why this arcane thing became such a flashpoint in the blockchain wars. Margo, tell us, what is this story? Yeah, well, it's good to be here on our first episode, just by the way. Yeah, this was a big story this week and it's not yet delivered. It's only on testnet, but let's let's maybe just like get into this a little bit about like why this is all important. For those who don't know, fault proofs are basically at the core of optimistic roll-up technology. The tech of that behind that is used to prove that certain data from the roll-up can or cannot be trusted. And so basically, like these proofs, you transact on an optimistic roll-up, the proofs are submitted to Ethereum. And if someone thinks that the data on that is wrong or tampered with, they can issue a challenge to basically show that there's something not right here. So without fault proofs, you, you just have to assume that every, all that data is like good to go. And Optimism has not implemented fault proofs. Back in 2021, when they launched, they had it briefly on mainnet, but they took it. They decided to go down a different path and take that sort of out of the picture. And so the people behind Optimism got a lot of heat for not implementing the secure, like this really important security check. Some have compared this sort of to driving a car without airbags. And so now the Optimism people have been quietly working on implementing fault proofs and bringing it to its OP stack. They announced earlier this week that it's now on testnet, so it is coming to the OP stack, but uh, it's not yet live. So this is an exciting sort of development that we'll keep, probably keep following over the next few months. You know, the, that analogy of the uh, the car, the fast car without the airbags, you know, I mean, that that is, there's, th- this has started to percolate, you know, on Twitter and other places. It seemed like some of their competitors were starting to take pod shots at them, almost like it was an embarrassment. You know, I mean, I, I'm curious, you, you think they accelerated this just because it was kind of embarrassing that they're an optimistic roll-up without this key part of an optimistic roll-up? Or, or was it really, you know, was it really an unsafe situation? Yeah, I don't know if embarrassment is like what the well the optimism folks probably wouldn't admit that it's an embarrassment, right? Like no no company is gonna come out there and say like yeah this is an, this is an embarrassing thing we for, we forgot to do, you know. So, but like Stephen uh, at uh, Stephen Goldfeder, I should know how to pronounce his last name, but Steve, Stephen from Arbitrum, he's definitely in the past 
tweeted out some things about not having those checks in place. And Arbitrum is the main competitor to Optimism. They also, they, so they call them fraud proofs. So you can sort of use it interchangeably, but but they also have like a limited amount of fraud proofs going around in their ecosystem. So it's not like everything's not perfect. I'd say that the different teams probably have different takes on this. Like the reason why Optimism did not come out with fault proofs immediately is because they believe they wanted to pursue this, what they call like stage two decentralization and get to this point of certain governance procedures to be in place. Because if you do have fault proofs without the right governance, like you can override that. And so that's sort of their argument behind it. It's interesting if going back to this analogy of the airbags, there was a time where cars did not have airbags. And I guess maybe the question is, where are we in the state? What does this say about the state of blockchain development today? Is it just the situation where we're, these teams are coming out with these protocols and they're not fully finished, but they're live, they're sort of experimental systems? Or is it that they are actually pretty advanced and now they're sort of tucking in some additional features? I mean, that's a really good question. I think it really depends on like the project itself. You know, this is specifically for the OP stack, and that's gotten also a lot of press recently because a lot of uh, companies are coming using that stack to come out with their own layer twos. The, probably the biggest one coming to mind is Coinbase, right? And uh, with their base layer two. And so I think the optimism folks, I don't, I don't want to speak for the optimism folks, but from what I've done from my reporting, they've realized that as there's more and more interest, there's this security feature that like needs to be shipped. And, you know, there's about $3 billion. I read, I read on a tweet that there's about $3 billion in the bridges of base and optimism. And so without the security feature, the more people that transact on base, the, the more risky it is without these fault proofs. Yeah, I think it's maybe it is because there there is more and more development taking place on on these layer twos, and there are more and more users that are making use of these layer twos that there needs to be these kind of security mechanisms in place. Yeah, I think that's really uh, really really well said, Margot. I, I I mean, just to put this out there, I spoke with Jesse Pollock, uh, who is the head of base, uh, working for Brian Armstrong at Coinbase, running their their blockchain. Uh, I met him at the permissionless conference here in Austin um, a few weeks ago, and he was actually somewhat in agreement that it was their launch, you know, and and that all these new projects are coming on and using the OP stack that had really led to the additional scrutiny. You know, it's like when you're successful, people have their eye on your back, you know, and so (laughs) that is maybe what caused some of these these conversations to percolate now and these criticisms and the pot shots even though this uh, you know this deficiency has existed for a while yeah i mean i'm I'm also curious to hear because i know that well you know this is sort of tangent to this but i would love to hear more about your conversation with jesse because we've talked about this like separately that we keep hearing that zero knowledge and zk rollups are the way forward and the OP stack, they have this modular system, right, where you can use fault proofs, but also have uh, validity proofs, which are the proofs that are needed for, for zero knowledge rollups. So has Jesse said anything about, about eventually maybe being able to secure 
like the base with ZK technology instead? You know, I did ask that question and it was a very short interview, to be honest, and we didn't get too deep, but uh, he did essentially reiterate the concept that you were just talking about, which is that it's modular. You know, I think a lot of people really are sort of, you know, maybe they don't want to really be too explicit about this. You know, a lot of people have already decided that ZK is going to be the way to go because it's just so much faster in the finality, uh, and, and which is to, you know, how fast it takes to settle transactions. And you just can't have, you know, some application that is all about trading or, you know, transacting when you can't have the fast finality, you, you know, even if there are some merits to the optimistic setup. Uh, well, that is a fascinating topic. And probably we should move on to our next topic, uh, which is what I've turned as the blockchain bake-off. I love it. The one that we're looking at closely or that I wrote about for the protocol newsletter this week was Celo. Okay. Celo is an independent standalone blockchain. It's kind of an also ran if we have to be totally blunt, but it's not without its own, you know, bright stars and it has, uh, you know, something of a community. It's been around a while. It's not, it does probably does, you know, it's not even close to the critical mass of a, you know, of an Ethereum or even a Solana. But so they've essentially decided that they would be better off as a layer two on top of Ethereum rather than having their own standalone blockchain. And I think a lot of teams are really thinking about this. You know, people are talking about what do you know, at one point, are your protocol on top a blockchain or then you're, you know, a protocol on top of a layer two, but when do you need your own layer two? And maybe when do you need your own layer one? Well, Celo is of the scale where they made a go of it as a layer one standalone, but then now they're saying, okay, you know what, we'd be just be better as an Ethereum layer two. And so, but whose technology are they going to use? There's all these teams now that are competing to provide technology OP stack, as we were just talking about. And so Celo initially was going to take just, they're just going to build on OP stack. And then all of a sudden Polygon, Polygon came on and said, hey, wait a second, why don't you use ours? And then it was just last week, Matter Labs, which is behind the ZK Sync rollup, came along and said, hey, actually, you know, we'd like to be on that ring too. So all of a sudden you have all of these layer two projects, they're, you know, themselves fresh out of the box, but they're trying to land the business of this cello layer one blockchain. I think it's just fascinating in terms of the, all of a sudden we've got some competition, you know. It's interesting. I think the people at cello were saying that they expected there to be some kind of competition. And, you know, I've spoken to some of these teams about what's going on at cello, like the teams of behind optimism and polygon and matter labs and they're all very quick to first say like you know we believe in healthy competition there should be like a diverse uh or options when it comes to stacks so we welcome the announcements of them entering into this race but they all sort of have their own reasons for why they think they should be the chosen stack i think optimism probably was thinking that they should be that choice because, you know, they have these big names now. We're making use of their their stack. Like we just said, base, A16Z is creating a client with o the OP stack. 
And I think the drawback was what we were just talking about is that they don't have fault proofs implemented, but that's now coming. So I wonder how this sort of changes the narrative or changes what this race is going to look like. Though Polygon and, and Matter Labs have zero knowledge. And as we were just saying, right, that zero knowledge is sort of the future. So I think this is this is going to be really interesting. I wonder whether fault proofs now coming to the OP stack changes anything when it comes to this race of who is going to be able to build Celo a new layer two. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, tieback. You know, I mean, one of the other points that we've talked about is just here in crypto winter, there's all these new networks coming out and there's nobody around. You know, there's no there's no surge in demand. You know, the surge is really in the supply here. And so these networks are, are you know, they're freshly built and they don't have anybody to move in. You know, I think to your point, Margot, it'll be interesting to watch the the choices that are made. And we sit here on the outside and we're commentators and watching these blockchains, but it's very difficult for us to kind of get into the nitty gritty of, hey, this works better than that. And we're just sort of see the see what the pros are picking, right? And mm-hmm. so that I think that'll be interesting to see if Cello they kick the tires on all these different systems. What do, what do they pick? You know, I think that'll yeah. be a little data point. Do you think anyone else is going to enter this race? Like, I'm wondering if it's just going to widen, you know, like, is everyone going to enter in? Like, is Starkware coming? Like, who, do you think someone else is coming? I don't know. I think one thing that we don't know that we are trying to figure out here is sort of what is Cello's process going to be? Mm-hmm. Is it a bake-off where they go around to all the teams, you know, and talk to them and it's just basically sales and hey we've got this feature and this feature it's like if you're buying a new car and you go around all the showrooms and you know it's price and features and what else and so you know there's a lot of changing horses here i guess you know if you if you're going to change horses now's the time to do it right Right. you may not want to do that bull market i'm excited to see like who the winner is I'll have my eye on that. So popcorn, got our popcorn <laughs> out for that one. Uh, the or the bake off mixing metaphors, but we're gonna go for a quick break here. When we come back, we're gonna talk about our protocol village deep dive into Ethereum's popularity problem. Ready to create the next Web three unicorn? Go from concept to fully functioning DAP with AlgoKit. The all-in-one development package helps you get building on Algorand in less than 10 minutes. Let Algorand's advanced blockchain technology, lightning-fast transaction speeds, and instant finality be the rails for your next world-class project. Head over to developer.algorand.org slash AlgoKit to download today. Welcome back. We are going to jump right into our Protocol Village segment. And this week, we're going to kind of wrap together two stories that are different stories, but there's some overlap here. The first one is Ethereum's launch of the Holsky network. We learned last week, even the core devs have a hard time pronouncing that properly. And then second is the problem uh, that Ethereum's validator numbers are just getting so big so fast. What to do about it? Why is that a problem? 
Okay, let's just start with this whole ski testnet launch. Margo, tell us. I mean, this wasn't even the first time they've tried to do it, but t- what's the story with the whole ski testnet launch? Yeah, so Ethereum got a new testnet last week known as Holski. Like you said, it wasn't the first time they tried to launch this. They tried to do this earlier in September, but the developer, like it wasn't able to get up and running because the developer said there was a misconfiguration. So they postponed it, went back to sort of figure out what, what was wrong, how they could improve it. And then they got it up and running last week, Thursday. So it's been up for about a week. It went successfully the second time around. And the point of Holski is to make the testnet bigger than mainnet. So right now, mainnet has about 700,000 validators uh, running the blockchain, and Holski is going to have up to 1.4 million. There were issues. Well, Holski is first gonna, going to replace the girly testnet, which will sunset later in uh, 2024. And the whole reason why Holski has come out the way it has in the first place is because the Ethereum developers want to use it as a like a dress rehearsal for any big protocol changes to the mainnet blockchain. And by making it bigger, anytime there's these kind of code changes, it'll go easier on mainnet. And so having doubled the amount of validators was supposed to solve a lot of those issues. But the problem is now is that staking and the validators that want to enter mainnet Ethereum are growing so fast that by the time that Holski, like Holski might not serve its purpose for a long time because I think projections showed report that we'll get into probably after this. There's a Galaxy report that showed that in about, I think it's like in less than a year, the validators are going to surpass Holski. So as a result of that, and this is sort of, I guess, what segues into this next story that you were sort of talking about. I do have some of these numbers written down, oh, yeah. Margo, can you, if you want can me you, to... Yeah, tell me, tell me I didn't write them down. <laughs> okay. I'm just making it up at this point. <laughs> to go to some of these numbers here, we were looking at a report from uh, Christine Kim at Galaxy. By the way, former uh, Coindesker and yes. uh, former author of the uh, Valid Points newsletter, which is yeah. the predecessor of the protocol. Shout out to Christine if you're listening. She was saying that at the current rate of adding new validators, which is 12 per epoch, which is every 12 seconds, we would hit a million in a couple months. And then, you know, we would hit 1.4 million so that you're you're hitting the whole ski capacity already then in March 2024. But then they're passing this EIP 7514 if I understand correctly, and they're going to reduce the new validators per epoch to eight from 12. So I guess that's why like a a 33% reduction in the speed of adding new validators and that'll, but that'll buy them a couple months. So, you know, it's not a, it's not a total game changer. It's just, it's just buying them some time. Is that, is that kind of how you understand it, Margo? Yeah. From what I understood is that, this is sort of a a temporary fix that this is going to buy developers time to sort of think about what are the longer term effects of this. Like either way, from at the rate that staking is growing, the rate that validators are entering the network and the rate that liquid staking, I mean, that's a whole other topic that we could go down that rabbit hole, but I guess we won't this week. You know, that's also very popular. And so there are these bigger issues in terms of what does this mean for the like the traffic on Ethereum. It's just going to create a bottleneck of like issues. And 
the more validators that enter the blockchain, the more messages are being sent. And so it's just going to make that harder to process. So this is like a temporary fix. Let's just push the problem down for a few more months so that we have more time to research what that long-term fix will be. Because I'm sure there's also some kind of like economics at play here in terms of rewards, in terms of staking. And so there are other problems that could probably like come out of this that need to also be addressed. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, Margot, just since the merge, and there have been some surprises in terms of Ethereum's evolution and development. I don't know to what extent they had thought all this stuff through. I don't think they have, honestly. I know that the issue was raised about the, the size earlier this summer, that during the core devs that that one of the devs had, had raised this issue. And so, you know, that's just sort of part of the process uh, to fix these things. Well, let's talk about how the crypto industry, you know, the break fast and b- build fast and breaks mentality. Here we have the Ethereum people wanting to stake, right? I mean, people are, validators are trying to get on to take part in this thing. You might think about that as a sign of success, right? But what's the problem with having all of the, too many validators? Just start there. What is that? What is that problem? The, the problem is exactly it's that the validators are not going to be able to send these messages. The, that just operating on Ethereum is going to be that much more lower. It's just going to create traffic. The network's just full. It's like a parking lot. At a certain point, you can add parking spaces to that parking lot, but you're going to have to build it, right? Or you're going to have to change something. There's a limited amount of spaces right now. So that's just something they're going to have to think about. I think I read, Margo, that part of the issue is just how the blockchain, every block, if you think about it, and then the network has to sync up, Mm -hmm. right? And so just that process of syncing and all of the messages have to be propagated to that many more validators. Yeah, that's exactly what the problem is. Do we have a sense of how they're going to fix it or what the plan is? As of right now, I'm not entirely sure. I think like this is the first step towards addressing that. And I think Christine's piece that we're basing this on, CoinDesk, shows that this you know, is an important first step in the community to make everyone aware of that. And that it's also a conversation that needs to be continued to be had, you know, that, that this doesn't just stop with the CIP. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this a lot more in the future. This is just the beginning of a whole new conversation around Ethereum. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting, Margot. I think we can probably wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening to the Protocol Podcast, for tuning in. You can listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. See you next week. 